Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, April 5th, 2016, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. As the May Pleiadian lineup approaches, we have only three spots left for the ninth Starseed Crystal Quest to Arkansas, which is May 15th through the 21st. This is a soul group reunion, and the group is identified by having at least one of these six star markings, either natal or progressed, 25, 26, or 27 degrees in Taurus, Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, Capricorn, and Cancer. If you feel the call of the crystals and aren't sure if you have those markings, I'll be happy to take a quick look at your charts and let you know. Just send me your complete birth info with the date, the exact time, the place, and your current location, and send it to crystals, that's plural, crystals at starseedhotline.com. We are so excited to have Barbara Hand Clow with us this evening. Barbara was first introduced to ancient wisdom by her Cherokee Celtic grandparents. She received her master's degree in theology at Loyola University in Chicago, studying with the theologian Matthew Fox and the physicist Brian Swim. She has lectured and taught workshops all over the world since 1986. Her books are as varied as her interest. Her personal studies of past life regression became the Mind Chronicles. Her study of astrology inspired Chiron and also Liquid Light of Sex. Her lifelong research into ancient cultures inspired Catastrophobia, which was later revised and retitled Awakening the Planetary Mind, as well as the Mayan Code. Her training as a ceremonial teacher inspired her to channel her best-selling book, The Pleiadian Agenda, and her interest in contemporary science led her to write Alchemy of Nine Dimensions as a scientific analysis of the Pleiadian Agenda. Her latest book is her debut novel, Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, which is the first book of a trilogy. And you can visit her website at www hand clow that's h-a-n-d-c-l-o-w 2012.com at the top of the show it's the starseed news with anastasia bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream we'd like to thank fiona and vanya for hosting the switchboard this evening for any listeners that have a question or comment for barbara If you'd like to chat with like-minded people, we have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and we appreciate Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download any show in our archives on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page using the cloud with an arrow on it. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, and you'll get our weekly show notice. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, 
And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, please order it at least two or three months ahead of your birthday to make sure you get it before your 10 hours since there is a waiting list. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating Starseed News. So I'm going to get your mic open. Hello, Anastasia. (laughs) Good evening, Ariel. Good evening, Starseed listeners. It's great to be together again. Our unity keeps us rolling onward. Well, we have a chance of minor storms today on the sun. NOAA forecasters are saying there's a 45% chance of G1-class geomagnetic storms today. They say the Earth is entering a moderately fast stream of solar wind. Now, today there were possibly, uh, actually potentially, 1,690 hazardous asteroids. And what I wanted to point out to you is that passing by today, there have been three of them, or they are in transit as I speak. One of them is, um, just a second, my computer refreshed. (laughs) I wish it wouldn't do that when I'm reading the news. Uh, 2016 FW13 is the name of this asteroid, and it is passing by at scarcely over half a lunar distance. Fortunately, it's small. It's only uh, uh, six meters, um, so that's not as big as some of them. Some of them are 175 or more, but nevertheless, it's half a lunar distance. We have one passing by today that's two lunar distances and one that's 1.5. Well, an expert has now come forward that says that he believes the mysterious ninth planet may be the cause of dinosaur extinction. And yes, there is definitely more evidence for the mysterious Planet Nine, as they are now calling it, what some of us have called Planet X for a long time. An astrophysicist is suggesting that this planet could, could have caused extinctions in Earth's past. Now, as Planet X orbits the Sun... Its tilted orbit slowly rotates and it passes through the Kuiper belt of comets every 27 million years. Now, this orbit causes comets to be knocked into the inner solar system. And so, this uh, uh, whole theory about planet X, or what they're calling the ninth planet in our solar system, is now expanding. It has been a 30-year-old theory, but now they're talking about it in relationship to mass extinctions. Evidence was discovered at the beginning of this year for the mysterious Planet Nine, and since then, scientists have been looking for signs that could confirm its existence. But the mystery of this planet has now deepened after an astrophysicist in the United States has claimed that this planet could have provoked comet showers that cause mass extinctions. Now, just a couple of days ago, one of the scientists behind this initial announcement of what they're calling now Planet Nine revealed that he had found further evidence to support his extinction theory. They said that the giant hidden planet is thought to sit on the edge of our solar system and that it's ten times more massive than the Earth. They say that it's gaseous and probably similar to Uranus or Neptune. But now scientists are saying that it triggers comet showers. So, indeed, we have had an increase in fireballs over the last five years. They've really been spiking up there. Even uh, NASA has made note of that. So, mm, who knows? Is Planet Nine or Comet X coming closer? 
certainly we would wonder because of the increased activity in the skies. Well, you all don't know this word, and I didn't know this word, and maybe you do know this word. Maybe you're a lot smarter than me, but the word is karaoke. Hmm, karaoke is Japanese, and it actually means something significant. The headlines on this article says that record numbers of Japanese are dying from overwork, or karaoke, as greedy employers are squeezing the life out of them. Sounds familiar, anybody? I think maybe some Americans might feel that way, too. So if you get fed up, just go into your boss and say, I'm, I need a karaoke leave, please. You're killing me. Well, this really isn't funny because, I mean, it is humor, sort of, but it is actually happening. And they're talking about this very calmly as if it's just, oh, well. Yep, Japanese is witnessing a record number of compensation claims related to death from overwork or karaoke which is a phenomenon previously associated with the long-suffering salary man that is now afflicting young and female employees. Now, labor demand in Japan is the highest since 1991, but they say lax enforcement of labor laws means that businesses are simply squeezing more out of employees and sometimes doing so with tragic consequences. Uh, the claim for compensation for karaoke or death by labor rose to a record high in the year end of March last year. Experts say that the real number is probably 10 times higher as the government is reluctant to report or recognize such incidents. Wow, what a time we live in. Mm. Well, here's another sobering uh, news article out of Nepal. Um, according to RT, child survivors of the Nepal earthquake have been being sold to rich British families as domestic the domestic slaves. They say oh. that vulnerable children, including not just all just survivors of the Nepal quake, that includes some of those survivors, but vulnerable children at large, are being sold to British families as domestic slaves. And this has uh, been uncovered uh, in an investigation by the Sun newspaper. The paper is claiming that boys and girls as young as 10 are being sold for 7,000 U.S. dollars in India's Punjab province near the Nepalese border. Now, last year, I remind everybody that they had a devastating 7.8 magnitude earthquake, killed almost 9,000 people, and it sent thousands of Nepalese families uh, into chaos. Well, the Sun is reporting that black market gangs are targeting the refugee children from this quake, as well as kids from poor Indian families, by approaching their relatives to do a deal. And according to the paper, a slave driver has lined up kids for the paper's undercover reporter, who was posing as a rich sheik living in the U.K., to choose from whichever children he wanted for over little over $7,000 each. That's pretty hard to believe. But that's in the news. Hmm. And in Phoenix, killer bees have swarmed a mosque. And on Friday, uh, killer bees swarmed into a mosque in Phoenix, stinging over 20 people and shutting down the entire street in the process of this chaos. Some 20,000 bees attacked the Muslim community mosque, causing worshippers to flee because fire crews had to cordon off the building and they sprayed it with a special foam to subdue these bees. Local residents in the region were told to stay indoors, and one man said he could see angry bees swarming from his house. He said everyone was running everywhere. 
people were falling in the grass, and then they'd get up and start running because the bees were chasing them. Ah. Well, in the Vanuatu Islands, we have had a 7.2 magnitude quake that just happened uh, on Sunday. No casualties or damages were reported with that quake, but that's a pretty good-sized one. And again, Mexico's Popocatapelo volcano has violently erupted over this past weekend. They say it's launched gas and burning rocks into the air after weeks of increased activity. Seems like we talk about this volcano just about every week. Now, they say that uh, they've had to raise the environmental alert level, which I would imagine they would, and um, nearby residents are being prepared to evacuate. So that's what's going on down there. Now, we've talked about in uh, the last few weeks about snow falling in unlikely areas, but now snow has fallen on the Caribbean island of Guadalupe for the first time ever. It's being considered an extraordinary weather phenomenon. The event uh, took place uh, last Thursday, and uh, particularly, I guess, in the municipality of St. Claude. Reports from the French media indicate that it was a very fine snowfall, but it blanketed the hills above the little town. And local people have said this has never before been seen in Guadeloupe. This is an exceptional event that we will never forget. And I just want to note that this has uh, occurred in tandem with recent extreme events such as heavy snowfall on the Honduras-Guatemalan border. We had hail and snow in Irezu National Park, Costa Rica, which is 10 degrees north of the equator. We had snowfall in Kuwait for the first time ever. And there was the biggest snowstorm in half a century that hit Mexico, which brought down 12 inches of snow and minus 18 degrees Celsius. So some very bizarre weather in you know, these southern, warm, hot latitudes. Well, there's been no widespread flooding in uh, Fiji. Uh, one person has been reported dead and another missing in this widespread flooding, which has covered uh, Fiji over the last two days. More than 3,500 people have had to move to 79 evacuation centers in the, in the country. And uh, I guess as of um, a couple of days... The tropical depressions have continued to affect the the country. So I don't know as of today, I didn't check as of Tuesday uh, how that was, but this just occurred a few days ago. Well, here is a fascinating story out of science. I love this kind of stuff. They have uncovered a mysterious new quantum state of matter. Yep, an international team of researchers has found evidence of a mysterious new state of matter first predicted 40 years ago, but this time they found it in the real thing. This state of matter is known as quantum spin liquid, causes electrons, which had been thought to be indivisible building blocks of nature, to break into pieces. Now, the researchers measured the first signatures of these fractional particles, which they call majorana fermions. They measured these in a two-dimensional material and their experimental results have successfully matched the theoretical models for a quantum spin liquid. Quantum spin. Wow. Wow. Metaphysics, we can do some things with that, can't we, Ariel? Quantum (laughs) spins. Let's spiral up. Yeah. Well, 
who doesn't like Lord of the Rings? I suppose most of us do. Most of us probably love it. Maybe some of us don't like it. But who couldn't like a hobbit? <laughs> I have covered this story before, but now there is revised dating about those Hobbit people that I've spoken about earlier on the show. Revised dating reveals that Hobbits were a separate human species, living 10,000 years before Homo sapiens in the region. Actually, as I get into the bulk of the article, you'll find that the headline is somewhat misleading, and I will proceed. Now, in 2003, scientists have made a, star- made a startling discovery in a remote cave on the Indonesian island of Flores. They found the skull and skeleton of an adult female hominin, a group consisting of modern humans and extinct human species, who only stood about maybe four feet tall, three to four feet tall. Now, that discovery sparked this big debate about whether the hominin, um, which are calling the hobbit, by the way, was a separate species or was a diseased modern human. You know, maybe something was wrong with it. Maybe it was just had something wrong with it and it never grew. Well, now many of those same scientists who made this discovery have radically revised their estimate of the fossil's age. It's based on exhaustive new analysis of the cave's geology. They're saying that instead of living 18,000 years ago, as they originally reported, the hobbit lived between 60 and 100,000 years ago. Wow. Now, that new, much older date range for the hobbits makes it impossible to argue that it is a pathologically dwarfed modern human. They say that this drives the final nail in the coffin of that argument that they were diseased. They are saying that this is a different species of humans. That's amazing, isn't it? Wow. Isn't that amazing to contemplate? So much that we don't know about our ancient history. And speaking of ancient history, have you ever thought about the antibiotics our ancestors used instead of pharmaceutical drugs? We wonder sometimes how we ever got got this far as a species. You know, people could die 200 years ago, 150 years ago from just a tooth abscess. What in the world did people do without antibiotics? What did people do? Well, I wanted to share this with you. Um, have you ever thought about oregano? Did you know that oregano aids in digestion and weight loss? Furthermore, the most important part, the oil in oregano is a natural antimicrobial. It fights bacteria that cause infections, and it combats candida overgrowth. So oregano oil, everyone, is a wonderful um, germ killer. We'll just call it that. And what about raw apple cider vinegar? Apple cider vinegar can be used as a disinfectant to sterilize, helps manage weight, lower cholesterol, it improves the immune system, and so on and so forth. It has antimicrobial properties. And what about honey? Honey, nature sweetener. Well, the enzyme in honey releases, guess what? Hydrogen peroxide. It makes it wonderful for treating wounds and preventing infection. And that's precisely what the ancient Romans used on the battlefield. Honey kills bacteria. What about garlic? Garlic is tasty in spaghetti, maybe in garlic bread. But as everybody on this program probably already knows, everybody listens to this program, it also fights the common cold. It's the allicin inside the garlic garlic that protects against things like yeast, parasites, 
bacteria, and other little nasties. <laughs> what about grapefruit seed extract? Oh, wow. It's so medicinally powerful that grapefruit seed extract has been found to be effective against more than 800 forms of viruses and bacteria, as well as more than 100 strains of fungus and many different types of parasites. Wow. Whoa. And yet this one, this is great, guys. Extra virgin coconut oil. Well, now this long list of medicinal benefits of coconut oil seems to be endless. In, did you know that it is a naturally occurring antifungal agent? And um, it also is full of antioxidants. It boosts immune and brain functions. It helps to balance thyroid, cholesterol, and blood sugar levels. According to experts that know about this stuff, they say that coconut oil is antiviral, antibacterial, antiprotozoal. It's a monoglyceride. It destroys lipid-coated viruses such as HIV, herpes, influenza, various pathogenic bacteria, and protozoa, and on and on and on. Also, uh, the pylori viruses or bacterias that cause ulcers. And what about fermented foods? Now, fermented foods have been used for centuries just because we could preserve them by fermenting them. But they've also been found to renew intestinal flora and to fight off infections, including candida. So uh, experts are recommending that we try things like unpasteurized cabbage, homemade pickles, kefir, and probiotic yogurts to improve our immunity and to fight off infection. And, of course, all of you out there are going, wait, wait, she's not mentioned colloidal silver. Well, Yes, I am. I'm going to do that. <laughs> Colloidal silver is the natural antibiotic that's been used for centuries. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, it is a mixture <clears throat> of silver particles that are suspended in fluid. Now, even though it's meant to be a temporary treatment, since silver, which is a heavy metal, can be toxic, it can be used to stop the enzymes that single-cell bacteria need in order to multiply. So colloidal silver is something everyone should learn about and have a little bit in your medicine cabinet. And incidentally, speaking of colloidal silver, years and years and years ago, long before um, nickel-plated utensils people used to eat with sterling silver, or if you were really wealthy, you, you ate with silver utensils. Silver is a known uh, uh, bacterial, um, uh, what? It stops bacteria. Thank you. Antagonist. That's excellent, Ariel. Thank you. And uh, so a lot of times we wonder, you know, people didn't get as sick from food poisoning and stuff, maybe perhaps in the old times um, because they used a lot of silver. They ate off silver. Copper was another one. I mentioned that in a previous newscast about copper. Um, so, indeed, silver has really very important properties. So there you have it. We have colloidal silver, fermented foods, extra virgin olive oil, grapefruit seed extract, garlic, honey, raw apple cider vinegar, oregano. So there you go. Think about that, research that, and we can all stay a little bit healthier without destroying our gut bacteria with um, pharmaceutical pills. Just food for thought. Maybe herbs for thought, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's going to be it for tonight's news, Ariel. I wish well, you all Anastasia. a wonderful week from my heart to yours. Thanks so much. It's going to be a good show. You're Fascinating. It, it is going to be an excellent show, and we thank you so much for the Starseed News. 
So we'll uh, talk to you next week, Anastasia. Okay, um, right now I'm going to bring Lavendar and our special guest, Barbara Hand Clow, online. Okay, your mics are open and you're ready to go. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you so much, Barbara, Lavendar. This is Lavendar, and I'm so happy that you agreed to come and be our guest today. And your book, Revelations of the Ruby Crystal, is very uh, pronounced in its way of delivery on the front, on the cover. When I saw the cover with all the red and the way that you presented this picture, it really is a powerful um, a picture on the front of your book. But I wanted to know what made you switch to fiction. I know that you've written lots of other books that are nonfiction, but what was it in you that said I, it's time to do fiction? Well, I came to the to the completion of my left brain analytical work, which includes channeling the Pleiadian agenda, by the way. But I came to the completion of the type of work that is attempting to present factual material and then and then um, use footnotes and all that stuff to to back it up. And I and I, this this occurred for me in 2011, at the at the end of the Mayan calendar, according to Carl Johann Kalaman. And I think that I came to the completion of my work at that point because we've gone through a certain stage of evolution, and that was the part that I was playing in it. But at the same time, there was no way I wasn't going to continue to present my ideas. And what I felt was I felt I needed to switch to fiction because it's much more multidimensional. Um, by having 10, 12, 14 major characters, um, all of whom are very um, smart and very interesting people, um, really, the, the interplay between these characters is much more powerful than just my personal voice. And so I, I guess I just came to a point where I was really ready to take a big creative leap. And unfortunately, the book is not doing as well as I would expect it would do because a lot of my fans are mad at me <laughs> for switching to fiction. And what they don't realize is that I haven't stopped doing what I, I'm doing. I've simply upped the ante big time. And people who have read the book um, are very, very um, energized by it and are feeling very empowered. Um, people have been telling me that it was like having it was like having a um, a multi-dimensional Reiki session. Um, in other words, my typical flow of energy and consciousness is still there, but I just needed a much more creative outlet at this time, and and it's happening for me. I mean, I'm really enjoying doing this. Great. Well, this novel explores the sexual abuse of children in the Catholic Church, and why did you go after this issue, and what is your background for this? Um, my background is actually ultimately personal. Um, we used to be Catholics, and we ended up having a, a, a dangerous, dangerous priest in our parish um, 35 years ago, and we ended up leaving the church um, in order to make sure that our children were safe. And so that's what planted the seed for this novel. And then what I did, because my background is very, educational background particularly, is very much within the Catholic Church. Um, then what I did is I did 30 years of research into the issue. In other, in other words, I watched this scene like a hawk. And the interesting thing is, I don't know whether you've seen the film Spotlight, which is a really excellent film that I highly recommend. And Spotlight is about priestly sexual abuse, and it's basically um, the same background material as my novel. And it, the movie came out about six months after the novel came out. 
So I think there's something going on here um, regarding um, the protection of children, which, of course, is a very Pleiadian issue. Um, More than anything else, we Pleiadians are really here to protect children on this planet. And the exposure of what's going on in the Catholic Church is of critical importance, actually, because the Catholic Church is really a global organization that's really at the basis of world finance and a lot of the world's political systems. And so it's it's time for people to see the truth, and so that's why I I went into this particular background issue. How, How did this novel get started, and how did you write it? Well, that's kind of interesting. What I did in 2011, now 2011, during all of 2011, those of us who were working with Carl Johan Kalemann, the Swedish biologist who analyzed the calendar, um, and I wrote a book called The Mayan Code based on um, Carl's work. And we spent uh, 2011 observing a very incredible um, calendar acceleration that went on during the whole year of 2011. So during that year, I was experiencing, number one, that I had come to the completion of my my research, basically. And then, number two, I was putting the word out there that I wanted to write fiction. And so one day in May of 2011, um, I, I got the word, it's always the Pleiadians, telling me to get out my tablet and my pen. And I wrote down all the names, ages, background, um, uh, personal um, experiences of all the characters in the ruby crystal. The whole thing came in in like two hours. And yet I didn't really know what to do with it because I hadn't yet written fiction. At this point I understand how to write fiction, but this was a learning curve. I had to learn how to do it. And so what I did was I sat down with all of them, put myself in my writing studio with my computer, and I just let them take over. I never plotted anything. And it's, the book has a, a tremendous um, rushing kind of page-turning quality because it's going very fast because of the energy of these characters. So that's how I did it. And um, I'm working on a sequel now and, and using the same method on the sequel. So where do these characters come from? Well, um, most people would probably say that they're coming from the classical term, the muses, which I'm sure you've heard. And I always have a tiny little room that I work in, like the room I'm in here right now, and it's like four by seven feet, and it's filled with crystals. And what happens for me is when I'm in this room, I have an opening to the muse. The muse appears. And so I think they come from the muse. And I don't know why exactly the muse wanted those particular characters. I I think it's an interesting question because they're all really interesting human beings. They're artists, and one of them's a Jungian analyst. Um, Another one is a, a scholar in Rome. Another one is a New York Times reporter. They're very smart people who are all trying to figure out what's going on in the world which is, I think, our central issue right now. That's why I'm I'm writing a sequel, because I want to track this moment in time, you know, like moving into the age of Aquarius and at the end of the Mayan calendars. I really want want to document, basically, this period of time. So are there aspects of your personality, your soul, included in this book? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the character who's obviously autobiographical is Sarah Adamson, and Sarah Adamson is a um, biblical scholar studying early church history. And in my case, um, I graduated from Matthew Fox's master's program in theology in 1983, and then I wanted to go on and get a Ph.D. in theology at that point, early church history. But I had four children and a husband, and I had to let it go. 
And so really I kept my I kept my I did my PhD for 30, 30 years and it became the background of a novel. And what it's exploring, the, the central issue in the book is um, what happened to Christ. In, in other words, like Christ is an incredible light being who has penetrated the fields of this planet to an absolutely astonishing degree. And yet, look what the church did to him. And so the book is exploring what the church has done to him and basically positing that Christ is not in the Catholic Church. So what are you doing being a Catholic when he isn't even there? And that's Sarah's issue. Yeah. Well, you deeply explore who Jesus may have been, and you discuss the, the the Gnostics and what they thought about Jesus. So why bother with trying to figure out what happened 2,000 years ago? Um, because what seems to have happened uh, 2,000 years ago is a really relevant issue now, which is um, the most popular bishop in the early um, church, and, and this would be a, an evangelist in the sense that this is a person who most everybody was Jewish in, in this field, and a man named Marcion was um, a, a person who was Jewish but then um, became a follower of Jesus, which was back in like um, 70, 80, 80 A.D., and so Marcion developed um, his own church, and his church was bigger than the church in Rome, much, much bigger, much more extensive, particularly in the Middle East. And then Rome managed to squash him and, and excommunicate him um, because he wasn't following what they wanted to follow, which was basically Peter's line. And so the critical issue with Marcion, which is where I really wanted to go with my Ph.D., was that Marcion felt very strongly that the Hebrew scriptures should not be attached to the Christian Bible. Marcion felt that the Jewish religion was the Jewish religion, which he had great respect for, which is a religion of the law. But the religion that Jesus brought in was a religion of love and consciousness. And so this is going back over that issue of how Christianity is t so tied up with Judaism that it didn't have the opportunity to develop the real meaning of Christ on this planet. And, of course, I'm hoping that's what's going to happen in the age of Aquarius. I'm really hoping that as we get out of the period of the age of Pisces and organized religion and we go into personally contacting um, spiritual forces that we want to be in touch with. What I'm hoping at that point, the real power of Christ will be liberated on this planet, which I think is profoundly loving. I think it's profoundly sexual. There's, a, there's the whole issue of Jesus being married to Mary Magdalene and all that. And what's happening in that area of research is lots more things are being discovered that the average person doesn't know about. So, of course, in the novel, our little spiritual um, seeker, Sarah Adamson, is right after all of the latest um, discoveries regarding who Jesus actually was. Wow. So some of the sexual scenes in this book are very graphic and intense. And why do you explore sexuality so deeply? Um, because sexuality is the most profound trigger that all of us experience regarding multidimensional consciousness. Now, in my system, in the Pleiadian agenda, and then in alchemy of nine dimensions, um, I've always taught that all of us are capable of accessing nine levels of human consciousness, and some of them are very, very high, very high levels. And for most of us, um, our sexual life is one of the most um, important kind of multidimensional portals, if you know what I mean. We also, of course, have meditation and yoga and all kinds of other things. But sex is a very big part of our lives. And so 
in the novel, I'm exploring um, deep levels of what's going on in the sexual lives of the characters. I mean, I, it's not like I'm not writing a book um, like Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm not after all of that kind of graphic sexuality. I'm interested in the emotional and psychological triggers that go on with sex. Right. I know and that also you're very hard on the Catholic down. Church and the previous Pope, Benedict Cardinal uh, Retzinger. Why is that? What pick him to be? The, the focus. Well, this was an interesting thing that went on. As the novel unfolded, events were also unfolding around me, naturally, because time rolls on. And um, Benedict um, stepped down, resigned from being the Pope, right in the middle of the period that I was writing this novel. And so um, Benedict, um, who used to be called Cardinal Ratzinger, was a really, really bad guy. And he is still in the Vatican. He's Pope Emeritus, and he's living right in the Vatican with Pope Francis. And so this is a historic period within the Catholic Church. And so I went deeply into what Ratzinger was up to, since we know plenty about him. And basically, one of the central themes in the book is that the sexual abuse um, uh, situation in the church is actually a program being used by the highest elements in the hierarchy to control the public, and I believe that to be true. Yeah. It's just too too prevalent and too intense for the last 1,500 years to not be a program. And I think they put Ratzinger in there because they thought that he could he could um, kind of stifle the problem. But what happened during Ratzinger's reign is the big exposures of of what the priests were doing came out. Right. You described the pain that priests cause when they abuse children. Why are you so interested in this pain? And do you think that synchronistic release of the film Spotlight about priestly sexual abuse suggests the time has come to really see the truth? Yeah, that's a really, really great question. Because as I've been working on this issue over the last 35 years, the question has been, number one, how is it possible that people behave like this? Because it's incredible that anybody could do this sort of thing to a child. And then my second question, probably the more important one, was why don't people see what's going on? Because I could always see what was going on, and I pulled my kids out of the church quick when the issue came up. And so what I discovered by working on this material is that there's a profound lack of denial um, in the human mind. And there's a profound tendency, this is another reason I think the book is getting a slow start, there's a profound tendency for people, people, to put it bluntly, just don't believe this is really true. They can't imagine it, and so they don't believe that it's true. And because people don't see the truth, enough people, and because they don't um, see what's going on, then it just keeps on perpetuating itself. The only thing that will stop it is the exposure of the truth, which is the deepest um, issue in this book. Do you think that, that there's some program that resides in ancestral bloodlines that keeps the Catholic Church um, honing in on mind control of, of, of their people? Um, I would say that, 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 that the real reason for this, yes, it's true, but, but why? And the reason for it is that it's the organization that has persisted the longest during the last 1,500 years. In other words, once they got their power, when the Catholic Church um, um, was adopted by um, Constantine in 400 A.D., um, once the politics and the religion came together, then 
since the age of, a Pi- of Pisces was about the development of um, religious systems on the planet. Then what happened is the Vatican, just, just by the sheer, uh, this is, for example, this novel takes place in Rome. And if you spend time in Rome, you can just feel these incredible layers of time going way back to even before 0 AD. And so because of that long process of of time with other countries, Germany, England, or whatever, breaking up and new leaders coming in, the church just simply kept themselves right into the center core of financial systems on the planet and then were able to manipulate political systems. So you could say it, it feels, it almost feels like it's in the blood because it's so deep and intense. And then in the novel, of course, I got into exploring some of the tools for triggering this blood awareness, one of which is is communion. Um, like, what are we doing when we say we're turning the um, wine into the blood of Christ? I mean, hello, what is going on during these rituals? And then the novel shows that these rituals are global, and they go on 24-7 all around the planet, continually hooking people into the archetype of sacrifice. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So have you been to the Vatican? Oh yeah. Oh I've spent a lot of time in there. Um, well, I've been there like four times, but um, in the last 35 years, um, traveled in Italy four times. And, and by the way, there, there's some really interesting um, Italian families um, in this book, and these these are based on people that I actually got to know very, very well. I was very fortunate in having great background material for this book. Well, the novel has characters in their 20s and 30s as well as their parents, and why do you work with two generations? Um, that just happened because those are the ones that showed up. But what happened for me was I think that two-generational um, approach in a novel is very, very um, revealing and very deep. And the parents in this novel are just absolutely fascinate me. And in the sequel, the parents are, th- these are people who are basically in their 60s. And the parents are um, developing to to such a level that I'm I'm just enthralled with them um, because here we are you know you and I are relatively the same age I'm born in '43 you're born in 1942 and we've come to the age of being an elder and we've come to the age of having that overview and so it's been really fun for me to have characters who are still very savvy very tuned in and very emotionally um, deep who are really sharing their reality. I haven't finished reading the book, but I notice in reading it that you really capture, uh, you, you get people's interest right away, and you sit on the edge of your seat as you're turning the pages, and I, and I think that's the mark of a, of a great author. You hold, you, hold, you hold the interest very tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know another another thing about this Lavender is that I, I wouldn't have been able to write this novel if it weren't for Dan Brown, and it's interesting that that also Graham Hancock has taken a crack at fiction, because um, especially Dan Brown really broke broke us through to in the, regarding the content novel, and I wasn't interested 
in writing a novel um, just just about content, um, or I should say, I wasn't interested in just a romance novel, if you know what I mean. I wanted a novel that had a rich fabric of material in it, and yet that basically has been forbidden in fiction for about the last 50, 60, 70 years. And so I wanted to see that come back. But the question is, what is fiction? Fiction is great characters. I love fiction, by the way, especially 19th century um, uh, English fiction. And if a character is a great, great character in a book, I know that person the way I've known some of the great people in my life. And my goal in this trilogy is great characterization with the backdrop of all the content. You know, when I read Dan Brown's book, I remember I was in my bedroom, it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and I put it down and said, oh, this is our time now. Dan Brown has just opened the door for the rest of us to bring our stories through. That's what I thought when I read that book. I I agree with you. I agree with you, and yet I don't think his characters are that great. I mean, in terms of just developing characters, the characters, and I don't want to criticize Dan Brown because I think he's wonderful, but the characters mainly are a vehicle for the ideas. And my desire was to have very complex ideas expressed by the characters but to have the characters be even more alive and more real than even their ideas. Right. And I think I certainly haven't attained it all the way, but I think I've gotten pretty pretty far with it um, as far as I can see. Yeah. Now, you've written um, the book about dementiality, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions, and, and why are you exploring this concept now in fiction? Um, that's a great question, too, because what I did with Alchemy of Nine Dimensions and the Pleiadian Agenda was I not only wrote those two books, but I taught thousands of people all over the planet um, how to access nine-dimensional consciousness. And I, fin- I finished that, you know, and yet how could I continue to have this idea develop on our planet? And I think it's the nuances between the characters that brings out these ideas even more deeply. And, of course, the various characters in the novel are accessing different dimensions. Sarah, in particular, is extremely psychic. And in the sequel that I'm working on now, the older characters are starting to um, develop um, nine-dimensional access. And so I wanted to go beyond what I was doing. I can't just go out and run around do do workshops for the rest of my life. I'm 73 years old. I'm getting kind of tired of it. So I wanted my characters to come alive and then to teach this so that it would come alive through fiction. Yeah. Excellent. You know, you're suggesting that the Catholic Church, which has been a dominant religion for 2,000 years, is imploding. And why? Does it really have to go um, I don't think it's going to entirely go away, but I think the degree of control that the church has is way, way over the top in relationship to the new consciousness that's coming in now. Um, and also, just to get simplistic about it, we're moving out of the age of Pisces and we're going to the age of Aquarius. And um, this transition is of critical importance, by the way, because before the age of Pisces, we had the age of Aries, and the age of Aries was like 2200 B.C. up to around 0 A.D. And the age of Aries was the development of organized warfare on this planet. 
And before 2000 BC, there is no evidence for organized warfare on this planet. Um, any archaeologists and anthropologists will back me up on that. They had they had camp fights and they had battles and they ran around and hit each other over the head. I'm not saying they weren't violent. They were violent. But organized warfare is another thing which involves taking the assets of a society and dedicating it to weaponry and destruction. So unfortunately, because of the nature of Constantine back in the 4th century um, A.D., when the Age of Ares ended and when we went into the Age of Pisces, the, uh, the organized warfare aspects of human cultures rolled right into the Age of Pisces. And then for 2,000 years during the Age of Pisces, we've had organized warfare working in the name of God. And it has to stop. And the Age of Aquarius is going to be the, the, um, the uh, shift out of that type of um, human culture, or we're not going to survive. Um, you know, I recycle, and I know you recycle, and I'm a fanatic about using as little as possible. But every day while you and I recycle and use as little as possible, think of what the military is using, shipping planes and people and, and material all over the planet. Um, it is destroying the ecology of the planet. It's the big destroyer of planetary ecology. So as we go into the age of Aquarius, organized religions have to go away unless they can find a spiritual way to contribute to the upliftment of humankind. Right. So you're writing this second book. When is the second book coming out? Um, I think it'll probably be um, in, in the fall of 2017, something like that. What's the name um, not of sure. it? Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's doing the same thing that the first book did. The characters are just rolling along, living their lives, and telling us what's going on. But I don't have a name. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> I know that you were very um, close to all of the Mayan calendar information, and you wrote a wonderful book about it. So tell us more about what you found later after the Mayan calendar happened, you know, the 2012 explosion. Yeah. Yeah, I use the dates 2011 and 2012 because 2011 was kind of the evolutionary culmination of 16.4 billion years of evolution. This is based on Carl Kalamann's research. And then the ending in 2012 is based on one of the nine cycles in the longer calendar. It's it's the, the 2012 calendar basically covers around uh, 3000 um, BC up through 2012. And so the 2012 calendar represents the patriarchy and the development of the priest-king uh, cycle of human culture. And so that's what um, ended in 2012, on the, the, even though the patriarchy hasn't gone away. As we know, it has tentacles deep into all the planetary systems. But in actuality, the calendar is showing that these things have ended and something else is going on. And so according to Kalaman, I continue to, to um, have Kalaman as a close colleague, He's, he used to call the cycles in his analysis of the calendar the nine underworlds, and he shifted that concept to the nine waves. And yet he has a book coming out, um, I think it's this fall, uh, called The Nine Waves of Creation. And what Kalaman is saying is going on is that there were nine evolutionary waves of creation, and now they're all functioning simultaneously. 
and this is a really yeah this is a really critical thing to to understand and in my case of course i'm the one who's been sit out there for 25 years talking about um nine dimensions of consciousness and i still don't understand the relationship between the nine dimensions and the nine waves but i'm sure there there must be um something some kind of connection or relationship but the point would be that all of this um all these different layers and levels of consciousness are flowing simultaneously and that's why we're all so mixed up and if you go back to 2011-2012 boy people just suddenly got really confused you could see it especially in early 2013 extremely confused so the first novel tracks through that transition um with the characters and now the characters are exploring this weird period that we're in the middle of now for example um simon appel the new york times reporter has been sent to the middle east in order to um uh, cover issues in iraq and syria um so so this is a very very confusing time i'm sure that you will agree and what i'm finding is going on is i'm finding i'm seeing people making personal triumphs um, and personal levels of growth that are really quite astonishing. I'm also seeing a lot of people who can't hack it, and they're getting very sick and they're dying, and we're, all, we're seeing that all around us. And so while we have the, weird, the, the, the world itself being in such a weird, chaotic state, at, at the same time, personally, we're making big, critical leaps. Do you yeah. agree? I agree. You know, I have a, a, a friend who's a scientist in England, and he has written a, a book. Uh, it took him 25 years to track this information, but he has it charted to where he's been able, the different UFO sightings that have been given to him, he, he, he has a special formula for tracking this, and he says that he's had a way of finding when the Pleiadian ships come down, send their scout ships out, and when they pick them up, he has this all mapped out. And so I've been talking to him over the last five years about all of this. But recently, he told me he got a call from the Vatican. They uh-huh. want his information. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, don't give it to him. But well, I told they him, can I said, get it oh, out of his type. book. They can get it out of his book. <laughs> I know. But the Vatican. Well, the Vatican, you know, the Vatican around 15 or 20 years ago announced um, their their belief that extraterrestrial contact is a real thing. Um, so they they're in a sense, in terms of organizations and structures, they're ahead on that one, you know, and 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 they're going to play a role. They're going to definitely play a role in how this 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 shakes out as as our planet gradually realizes realizes that we're part of the omniverse and we're part of the larger systems, you know, the the cosmic systems um, in our solar system and universe. So what do you think of Pope Francis? What's your hit on him? I know you've been tracking him. Yeah, I've been tracking him, and um, I I don't know. Um, For me, he's always on the fence. And, of course, he's a character in the sequel, so I'm working on it, um, trying to understand him. But I, I would put it this way. Um, sometimes New Agers have a tendency to think that a person is just really bad or really good, where I find that people are a spectrum. 
Like, for instance, as far as I'm concerned, Ratzinger and Dick Cheney are just really bad, and that's just it. <laughs> Agreed. There's just very few things going on in these individuals' life, lives, and I think probably even in their personal lives, that that, that are, are, are kind and loving and considerate. I doubt it, you know. And if you look at the amount of damage somebody does, like, for instance, George W. Bush created ISIS by invading Iraq in um, March of 2003 because he um, fired all the all of Saddam Hussein, Hussein's um, royal guard, and then they went underground and they became eventually became ISIS. And so, when you look at the damage that a guy like George Bush has done in his career, this is really bad, if you know what I mean. So I see people on a spectrum. Like I see a person like Bernie Sanders, for example, as being on a spectrum of being really a pretty good guy, although I'm sure he's got his stuff. And so with Francis, I think he's probably a really, really fine pope. Um, I think he's going to have a very, very good influence. But I think it's more complicated than that because I think once a person adopts the mantle of the dolphin, which is the um, hat that popes put on when they become the pope, they're part of the church, and the church has a tremendous amount of, of evil energy, but it also has a tremendous amount of good energy. It's an issue of a spectrum. So I'm immersed in, in attempting to, I'm, I'm just letting Francis do what he's doing, because he's out there doing it anyway. Yeah, right. Well, I, I've, I'm real anxious to, to finish reading this book, and I I applaud you for all the many years of dedication and work that you've done. I've, I've been following you for years. I'm sorry that I never got a chance to meet you in person before now, but it just yeah. kind of turned out that way. We have a yeah. switchboard that um, several callers may be coming on to um, to speak to you. Are you? Can you um, uh, talk to a few of our listeners? Oh, of course. And thank okay. you, Lavender, so, Ariel, for your support. So, Ariel, are you there? I sure am. Okay, so Barbara, we'll talk later, honey, and I'm so glad that you came on the show. And any time that you have anything that you want to promote, you let us know, and we'll have you back on, okay? Well, thank you. I appreciate the support. You guys have obviously got a really good Pleiadian network there. Yes, we do. You know, oh, I can tell, like Anastasia's, um, and that's classic um, Pleiadian hardcore information that she put out. It's great. Well, and how, well, about, sure how about planet number nine? Then. So back yeah, to and how you, about Ariel. planet number nine? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's where we have some, okay. too many people talking at one time. So, yeah. what, did you have a question for me? No, Lavendar. Okay, yes. she's already <laughs> she's already turned it over. So, um, this is just fascinating, and I'm just I love your energy, and because you put things out there very um, rationally, and it makes it makes sense, and, and it's really hard to do that when you're talking about spiritual things. So um, at this time, uh, we will open up the switchboard. If anyone has a question or comment for Barbara, this is your chance. And if you are already on the switchboard, you'll need to press 1 so that um, Vanya and Claudia, I'm sorry, Vanya and Fiona will know uh, that you have a question. And if you are listening on the computer, then you need to pick up the phone if you're in the U.S. and dial 917-889-8292. And then once you get in, then you press 1 so that we know you want to come on the air. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the Pleiadians and um, things that maybe are you've 
lectured on for a long time, but there are, I'm sure we have a lot of young listeners that may not have um, read the book or have been meaning to. So can you kind of talk a little bit more about how the Pleiadian agenda came to be and what you think the uh, the main message that you want people to get from that book? Mm-hmm. Well, the Pleiadian agenda is my only channeled book, and everything else is much more left-brain type research. And what happened for me um, simply was that in late 90, 1994, they overwhelmed me. Um, they first appeared when I was in a tanning booth. <laughs> Sacha announced, yeah, right, I'm in the tanning booth, which I don't do very often. I had to go to a really hot tropical climate and be in ceremonies all day in the sun. I was afraid I was going to burn up. And so I'm in this tanning booth, and Sacha appears and starts talking to me. Hello, Barbara. You know, that routine. And um, I was just amazed by the whole thing. And, and what happened, unfortunately, you could, well, I shouldn't say it's unfortunate, but what happened was I... I just went into a field of incredible light, which is described at the beginning of of, um, Alchemy of Nine Dimensions. And what happened is I received this huge download of material. And it was so intense and so huge that I knew the only way that I could bring it in was to channel it. So I arranged um, sessions with a group of people who had the background in order to question me properly because I could tell that the material was very complex and very scientific. So I did a series of 18 or 20 um, channeled sessions um, in late 1994 and um, spring of 1995 and brought all the material in, and then I I had the the, uh, sessions transcribed, put them into my computer, and made them into a book. And what I did with the material, a lot of the material was incomprehensible to me. And a lot of it I knew contradicted contemporary science because I, I was knew, knew something about science. And so what I did is I let the material stay exactly as it came in, and I didn't change anything, even though I felt like it was going to make me look like an idiot. And then, <laughs> mean, yeah, right. meanwhile, I was working as the acquisitions editor at Barron Company in Santa Fe, and in the spring, or really more like the summer of 1995, while my book was in editorial, I received four um, queries for exactly the same body of material. One of them was a finished manuscript. Um, the two others were a complex outline, and one of them was a phone query. And in all cases, these, the, this material involved nine dimensions of consciousness. It involved the different dimensions um, being related to different star systems like Andromeda Galaxy and and Sirius and (coughs) the Pleiadian system. In other words, this wasn't love and light, light, simple New Age material. This was complicated. And so the fact that four other people received the same information at the same time convinced me that a download came in from the Pleiades. And then the next thing I realized was that the download occurred exactly when when um when uh the theory for string theory was being um written out by Edward Witten. Witten Edward Witten is the got the Nobel Prize um two years ago and he's the one who first discovered string theory. And so I realized that as he was able to describe um the the, the all the dimensions in string theory, it was coming down from the Pleiades um through people. And later on I ran into more people who got the same download. And that happens occasionally. 
So I made it into a book, and I went out and started teaching it, even though I only understood about half of it in the beginning. <laughs> well, you know, um, Lavendar has always taught me that they they send information and and missions and various things to several people because you you don't really have any way of knowing who's going to cross the finish line. So uh, the formula is that you know. Ten people may get it, but only person, only one person gets to run with it. Um, so, and I, I, I just have this image of you being in a in a tanning booth, and was it a an, an ethereal presence that that came to you? Well, I yeah, the the great vision of light that's to, no alchemy of nine dimensions is the next issue, which is once I watched and taught this material for ten years. Then I started to understand it. And then meanwhile, during those 10 years, contemporary science was switching over to what came in from the Pleiadians. So in 2004, I wrote a scientific analysis of the book um, which, in order to make it more comprehensible. And then I revised it in 2010. Um, and it's, that's, if anybody's interested in alchemy of nine dimensions, be sure and get the, um, the, the 2010 edition. Because what happened is material kept coming in it. And you know how it's been scientifically the last 20 or 25 years. It's impossible to keep up with all the discoveries that are being made. You know, I think you would agree. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so so the the vision of light didn't come when I was in the tanning booth. I just that was just the first you know Satya got through, and then within a month or two, I can't remember exactly, sat one down one day, um, relaxing, and I just got hit with a bomb of light that 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 it went on. It's described. Um, in alchemy, because it was like a, a vision of a, um, of a, of, of a, I guess, an icosahedron um, in the sky. It was really awesome, and um, I just simply let it go into my brain, and and then I had to, then I had to bring it back out because what it did, it by the way, it made my ears ring, and I found that unless I um, brought the material back out, did channeling sessions, and then writing, the ear ringing wouldn't stop. In other words, they were just pushing me. And the other people who picked up on this one felt the same kind of push. And see, what I think is I think when that's happening to someone who can receive it like me, I think it's happening to everybody. And I'm sure that's true because when the Pleiadian agenda came out, it was like a wildfire. Never had just such a force going on when I was teaching. Wow. Do you... Um Remember the the dates when like when uh, you called him Sacha? Mm-hmm. Is that is that a, a Pleiadian entity that you know? Yeah, Sacha is a Pleiadian goddess, and she's um, Jerry's. My husband Jerry says she's my alter ego, but she's very very saucy, very demanding, very pushy. <laughs> <laughs> and so I've had to, I've had to deal with Sacha. There's people out there who just love Sacha. I can't say that I do. But she's who she is. <laughs> so, um, I mean, do you do you track astrologically when things you know momentous things happen to you? Sometimes, do you, do you know? but but I have to be honest. Okay, back in those days, I was I was running acquisitions and marketing at Baron Company and getting ten thousand submissions a year, and oh. I was a mother of four and a wife, and I was writing a book every two years. 
So, and you're doing at that time still doing astrological region, readings, which I haven't done in many years. And so sometimes I, I keep track of stuff, and sometimes I don't. I mean, it's just something that just goes too fast. Yeah, well, I, I can understand that. We but, have but I'll tell you a something lot. interesting. Something I did track is that um, after the book came in, um, and then uh, I had a German publisher who wanted to publish it. Um, and so, so the German publisher and I were in communications for a while. And then I, I got a fax from my German publisher, um, which basically was a, um, a photograph of the latest crop circle that had happened in England. And what had happened to me was in my studio in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, the day before, I sat down with my tablet and I drew that crop circle. And so when I checked out the timing of when the crop circle came down in the field and when I was in my study, they were simultaneous. So I kept track wow. of that day. That, I've got that someplace in my files. I don't know where. And I track that, <laughs> by the way. That, that's, in, that's in Alchemy of Nine Dimensions because Alchemy of Nine Dimensions has nine chapters on each, one on each dimension, and then the last chapters are on crop circles. Because for me, and I've been a crop circle researcher when I had the time, um, crop circles are a demonstration of of the way nine dimensions um, come to our planet. So I I devoted two long chapters to how crop circles work because it's a really incredible phenomenon. It sure is. So um, let me repeat one more time for our listeners. If you would like to um, ask a question or make a comment uh, with Barbara, you need to dial 917-889-8292 and then press 1 once you're in. And if you um, are already on the switchboard, then all you need to do is press 1. And uh, we do have a, a caller that's going into the screening room right now because we like to make sure that they understand um, what they can ask and what they can't ask. So, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, we when, don't uh, want any badgering now that we have to listen to Donald Trump every day. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, can I tell you yeah. something funny that is like has nothing to do with anything except for the fact that everyone knows I'm a huge Star Trek fan, both original and next generation and all of them. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I, I was kind of half watching uh, a news program, and they, of course they got Donald Trump on there all the time. And I looked at him and I thought, man, all he needs is those really big ears because he's a Ferengi. That's true. It's the whole... Yeah, yeah, the whole greed and acquisition, um, yeah. you know, the absolute yeah. worst example of of uh, capitalism that you could possibly yeah. be. Uh, well, oh, my you know, God. So I, well, you know, there's I something told, strange about his hair. Um, you know, there's something extraterrestrial about that hair. This is the weirdest hair I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, he's got plenty of money to go to a beautician and, and clean it up so it doesn't look so weird, but he doesn't. Yeah, well, I don't know. I just uh, yeah. once I put that Ferengi stamp on his forehead, he doesn't bother me yeah. nearly as much. It's a little more comical. So our caller is um, out of the screening room now. So you are going to be talking to Tammy in just a second. Let me get your mic open. Hey, Tammy, thanks for calling. You're on the air with Barbara. Well, hello, Barbara. You know, Hi, I, I really don't have a question for you, but I I'm just so glad that you're on our show tonight. And I wanted to tell you that when I first had my awakening, 
you I was so fortunate that your name came up and I can't remember exactly how I came across you but I was so hungry for the truth and when I came across your work and your website I lived for the hand cloud report to come out oh, and I didn't understand all of it but I yeah. I was just fascinated and I knew it was the truth and the way that you track um kudos uh, you did, and it was just spot on. The especially the political tracking that you did. Yeah, and so, what she's thanks. referring to. So, so other listeners can understand. She's talking about 13 years of analysis I did of the new moons, and I used it as a tool to help people um, track their way through this mess. I'm not, I'm not doing it anymore, but that's what you're talking about. Yes, In other words, you and, were following. It was such masterful work. And once again, I was so hungry to find some truth and some real serious work that that felt right to me. And you were one of the first people that I came across, and I was like, "Yeah, she's the real deal." Well, so thank, th- you, thank you for being the real deal. Well, thank you. And also, I have a real um, issue about misusing energy. And Liquid Light of Sex is my book about how to deal with kundalini energy and cycles in life. Because when people wake up, I'm sure you will recall, it's very difficult. And you can be right on the edge of insanity, and you may even go insane. And so people need guide. You know, people really need guidance, and that's really what I've tried to do my whole life: is to guide as much as I possibly could, because it's not easy to wake up. Well, Lavender has a saying: "Truth knows its own source." And I just kept, you know, looking and looking and looking, and and um, I found truth in 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 you in your source. So uh, yeah. thank you so much. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. Well, um, your your work is it just really uplifted me. And when I sometimes when I was like, well, you know, I feel like some of this is truth, but a lot of what I, I'm taking classes on and viewing this just doesn't feel right to me. And you, I, I believe you were the first person where I heard the word Pleiadian, where it really registered. Um, mm-hmm. So once again, thank you for being a part of my mm-hmm. awakening. Well, thank you. Did you also read Barbara Marcinia? Um Bringers at Bringers at the Dawn, et cetera. You know, you I got that, that book and I, I started reading and for some reason um I couldn't finish it. So I Isn't that I do have it on my yeah. bookshelf. I, I will uh, It's interesting because I think Barbara and I often have found that we've kind of got you know, kind of tuned in in a similar way, but of course we're very different as teachers. Um but I think her work is I think this is we're living in a golden age of Pleiadian wisdom. Oh, yeah, and and I cannot wait to read your new book and see how you've woven how you're tracking into into your new um, stories. Good, good. Uh, I need I, all the I, support just, uh, I can get. I can't, I can't <laughs> wait to get a hold of it. So thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Okay, Tammy, thanks for calling. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. So um, we have another caller named Chris, and she will be on the line just a second. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Thanks for calling in. Hi, Ariel. I'm doing quite well, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do have a question. I've got a question for um, 
Barbara. And um, the only book I've read that you've written is the Pleiadian Agenda. And I also read Barbara Marciniak and whoever wrote Return of the Bird Tribe. And they all kind of, you know, really resonated with me. Um, But I want to go back to your current novel and you're kind of excavating the Catholic Church and Mm -hmm. your comment about Ratzinger and the present Pope. I don't know. I, I, I read this book a while back. I think it was The Two Popes something like that, and the premise mm-hmm. of that book was that Raxinger is still wielding power, uh, it, you know, that, that he's still uh, running the church and that Francis is like the front man. And I just wanted to know what your opinion was on that. Um, if you heard the interview a while ago, I'm still on the fence. Um, I'm, of course, okay. fortunately, I mean, I'm writing a sequel, and it's a key issue in the sequel. But I'm still, I'm, I've got, I'm totally open um, to to seeing what's going on. I've read the two popes, and I've read some oh, of yeah. that material. Okay. I, re- I yeah, I basically read all of that material, and mm-hmm. um, and then to tell you the truth, what what happens is the characters actually they actually come alive and francis mm-hmm. hasn't yet he hasn't yet he hasn't yet come in to do that so i don't know what's going on um okay <laughs> well i can't wait to find out <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. yeah i me too so, uh, yeah <laughs> so that will be obviously in your next book is that correct yeah, but but boy, it's okay. going to be important for people to get the first one the, because the first one is where you really get to know the characters as as individuals, right. and then what right. happens as sequels go along, things things move along fast. Once it, the fir- first book is usually very hard to write in a trilogy. Mhm, mhm. Because you're so, laying down the foundation and, and yeah, get yeah. people hooked in. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I want to thank you. You've written the. Um, I mean, now I know what book I'm going to read next. You know, I've been kind of grasping the straws <laughs> for a while, so uh, I really appreciated everything you had to say and and how it was presented, and I could tell uh, you know your stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I guess that's all I have to say on the matter. And thank you for uh, delving into the uh, horrors of the Catholic Church. You know, well, good. Yeah. yeah. No, I think it's really I think it's very serious problem not to be taking a yes. good look at that yes. one. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I agree. So yeah. yeah. Okay, that's all that's all for me. <laughs> Thank okay, you very thanks much. for calling. Okay. okay. Bye Ariel. Great, great to hear you, Chris. Thanks for calling yes, in. Great bye to bye. Bye bye. Okay, well we have um one more caller waiting to come out of the screening room. Okay. And uh I'm trying to remember what we were talking about before the before the callers. Um, oh, oh, she's she's just about ready. Um, okay. Okay. This uh, next caller uh, is Anne, and you'll be talking. Okay. Hello, Anne. You are on the air with Barbara. Hi, Barbara. How are you? Hi, Anne. I'm good. Okay. Um, I've just been reading your book, uh, Chiron Rainbow Bridge. And it's been very helpful for me because I just discovered how big a role Chiron plays in my chart. I was wondering, it's it's a very old book, so I was wondering if you have some newer information you put out on that. Uh, are you Did there, you Barbara? Did you ask a question? What? Okay, uh, yeah, I, I'm there, but I couldn't hear yeah, I couldn't hear her, but I just couldn't hear her ask a question. I just heard her talking. Uh, I'm just wondering if you know, have any um, insights into Chiron 
return, you know, Chiron and what... return, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, Chiron, uh, the subject matter in Liquid Light of Sex is Saturn return at 29, and then Uranus opposition in our early 40s, and then finally Chiron return at 51. And the issue with Chiron return is really, really the awakening and integration of spirit into our lives. And Chiron return can be very difficult. Um, like with Saturn return, all of us make a major structural change in our lives when we're like 29 or 30 years old so that we can grow emotionally. And then with midlife crisis, which is triggered by Uranus opposite Uranus in our natal chart, um, what happens with um, Uranus opposition um, midlife crisis is we have an emotional breakthrough which enables us to become more spiritual. And then through our late 40s, we develop ourselves spiritually, but then when Chiron return occur, occurs, it like pierces us. It's, it's like um, other dimensional levels and other consciousness levels um, really do actually pierce people. And one of the things that can happen with it um, is that at, during um, Uranus opposition, we need to work through emotional um, changes, and we need to make emotional. It, it's, it usually is a fairly profound emotional crisis, which you can see in the culture itself. But some people, a fair number of people actually, manage to avoid midlife crisis. What they do in their early 40s when it hits is they just keep on going the same old way and they don't change. And then what happens when you have Chiron return is it's much, much more intense. And so if, if you're in the middle of Chiron return, if that's what's going on with you, you should check your midlife crisis, your, the period when you had Uranus opposite Uranus, to see how you changed and what you did at that point. And if you didn't really change very much at all, your Chiron return is going to be intense. And at that point, I really advise people to have, spirit, to, to have um, some form of counseling. Because you'll be okay with it, but it can really be kind of scary and really a deeply piercing experience. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay. Okay. Does that answer your question? Thanks, Anne. Yeah, it does. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Good. Thanks for calling. Yeah, thanks, Anne. Yeah, and try Liquid Light of Sex. You should try. You should read Liquid Light of Sex because that's what it's all about. Oh, great! I will. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Anne. Okay. Thank you for Bye-bye. calling. Bye-bye. Well, it looks like we've got... um, No, we don't. Okay. Well, uh, that covers and completes the the callers. And Mm -hmm. I just want to thank you so much for the light that you carry on the planet, for the work that you've done, the people that you have empowered. I mean, look at our own Tammy. Um, when she heard you were going to be on the show, she just went like through the roof because that was kind of like her beginning. So, mm-hmm. and and I'm sure that she represents countless numbers and thousands of people who yeah. have been empowered by your work. And we so appreciate thank, you. Thank you, Ari. Yeah, thank you, Ariel. And that's what's kept me going too. And yes, lots of people have said that. And that's just what keeps you going because, you know, like writing this novel, for instance, was a really brave act because nobody wanted me to do it. Publishers turned me down. All kinds of stuff went on. They wanted me to just keep on doing the same old thing. But life is about growth and life is about change. And even a spiritual teacher has to change and grow, you know. And um, so I appreciate you having me on the show. It sounds like you've got a great group there. You've been going at it for a while, too. Oh. 
yeah, yeah. Our, our, we uh, actually just celebrated six years on the air, and um, Great. Our, our website it was up a year before that. So mm-hmm. uh, we have uh, huge numbers of star seeds across the planet, uh, really. Um, and uh, we've got we're approaching seven hundred thousand um, listens to our radio show. So wow, the message is getting out there, and like it's a, it is a a, a um, process of growth, and we've had some wonderful guests, and of course, this um, the whole reason for the website is based on Lavendar's work and her discovery of star markings and her astrological mm-hmm. um, guidance that she's given countless numbers of people. So. Um, and while I'm sitting here talking to you, trying to wrap up, we have one more caller now coming into the screening room. So there will be <laughs> there will be one more. <clears throat> Just okay. got in as the door was closing. Um, but you know there um, there are so many um, Pleiadians and Pleiadian um, related people on the planet because I mean, do you think that it? Just like uh, just like here, that there are a lot of, um, for lack of a better term, interracial or interspecies um, unions. So that you know, if you could have a, an Italian mother and a German father, you can have a Pleiadian mother and a and a Syrian father. Does that yeah, right? Is it work um, like that? The that the, well, the reason that the Pleiadian consciousness is so prevalent on Earth is that, um, the, the, remember I talk, talked about these um, nine waves of creation um, brought in by Carl mm-hmm. Kalamon. And the wave of creation um, that, that is 100,000 years long is, is actually a Pleiadian cycle. So the Pleiadians have been influencing us for 100,000 years on this planet. Their wisdom is very deep and goes back into the Paleolithic mind, and that's why people respond to it so strongly. You know, it goes back into the hunter-gatherer mentality. It's a very, very deep part of our consciousness, and and our DNA. Yes, as well. Yes. Don't you think? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. Definitely. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, we have our our last caller, um, everybody. This is um, we're going to be talking to Bob in just a second. Hi, Bob. Welcome to Hi, the show. Hi, how are you? Good. Uh, Hi, Bob. I hope it isn't my brother, Bob. <laughs> no, no. No, you I'm wouldn't called. do that, okay. <laughs> uh, I was going to ask you, Barbara, you said you'd yeah. seen Pleiadians. Uh, when I was a little kid, I saw some Pleiadians. And uh-huh. uh, what did the the one that you saw, what was she wearing? Well, I, I, I when that vision came in, um, I, I didn't see her. I saw oh. the, like a geometrical form, but I have seen them twice. And okay. for me, and remember, there's just like an, on planet Earth, there's different species, you know. But yeah. the ones that I see are kind of like, like um, ghosts in a sense. They're kind of like there was a show we used to watch years ago with these little ghosties in it. And they're, they're about um, around two to two and a half feet tall, and they're blue. And they're just like little ghost, ghost, ghosty tr- creatures. And one time they came and hung out with me for five hours. And it was really... A, a difficult issue because I had two chi- small children at the time, um, like a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and I was busy trying to keep the kids safe, and you know how that is with two kids who are raising cane. And there the Pleiadians were. They were in my office for five hours. They just appeared and stayed there. 
And so I just kept on going back and getting their energy as much as I could, um, trying to make sure that one of the kids didn't poison themselves, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Pleiadians, you're right that there are different kinds because everybody talks about the Pleiadians and they're so loving and everything. And you described the one that you had an interaction with that she kind of was kind of tough love with you, correct? Well, Satya is pretty pushy and um, demanding, you know, um, and as you know, there are different people picking up different levels of Pleiadian teaching. Some people are picking up really dark stuff. Um, I just don't tend, in this lifetime, I don't tend to pick up dark energy. And so I'm picking up on um, very, very loving and very scientific um, Pleiadian source. Well, I had my experience uh, back in 1966 when I was a little kid. I was either four and a half or three and a half years old. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a physical uh, well, it wasn't a vision. It was a physical encounter, and mm-hmm. they didn't speak. They were telepathic. So uh-huh. you're yeah, they, they, they are very telepathic. Yeah. Okay. Was the Pleiadian that you had interacted with was she telepathic or was she verbal? Um, the ones that I saw and tuned into the way I did, I saw them also when I was an infant. You know, like 14 months old, and I got that in a regression. They were telepathic. But Sacha definitely has a very definitive speaking voice. Um, okay. So she's, that's just how it, how it was. Sacha means wisdom in Eastern tradition. So she's pretty full of herself. She thinks she knows everything. And um, I just tried to present her in a way that was enjoyable for people because, boy, it's been a trial for me. She well, you know, you have a you sounds like you've had a little bit of relationship with them. And first thing you got to do, you got to have make contracts and and make bargains. Like you got to decide, okay, I'm willing to th- do this, but not that, because they're pushy and they'll they're, they're very anxious for us to change on this planet. And they'll really um, push you really far if you let them do it. So I make deals with them, you know, because I want to have had a, a lot life of too. different experiences, different beings, not just the Pleiadians. So. Uh, but that's the only one that I really remember because it was a 3D encounter with uh, higher dimensional beings, and they were not small. These were large, but of course, I was, yeah. well, I was a small yeah. child, so an yeah. adult human looked pretty big to me. But no, I've they seen some big beings too, yeah. yeah. They did look gigantic, and they were mm-hmm. not actually on the earth. They were above me, about 15 or 20 uh-huh. feet above me, looking down. Yeah. There was no ship there, though. It looked as though they were mm-hmm. looking down through a table that wasn't there, mm-hmm. and they were discussing I never see telepathically. Ships. Yeah. yeah, I never see ships, by the way. I always You've see never energy seen a forms. Ship? And I don't, well, I actually, in 3D, that's linear space and time, I've seen a few ships flying around. I used to live in New Mexico, and I used yeah. to see them flying over to Los Alamos. But what I'm saying is when I have a connection or an appearance, ships never have anything to do with it. They're they're all they're reaching through from a you know a level beyond mechanics. So it's yeah, I've never had a, a I've seen tons of UFOs, but not mm-hmm. had beans right after that. Actually, I was yeah. up on a, an Orion ship once. So that was I can't even go into that. But I was just asking about the Pleiadians. But mm-hmm. the, the ones that I had seen, they wore robes and they looked biblical. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Like, yeah, and the robes were not of this earth. You could tell. It was amazing. Right. It was just incredible. But the one have you guy... Read Alchemy, have you read Alchemy of Nine Dimensions? No, I have not. Because, see, that's really trying to decode why that Orion level, the eighth in my work, the eighth dimension is like that. It might it might be interesting for you. 
possible. I don't know what dimension they would have been in. I was a little kid. I was completely terrified, of course. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, these beings appear yeah. above my head, and they're discussing me telepathically. And I'm, I was trying to back away real slow, and, I re- and all of a sudden, I realized I wasn't going to be able to get away. And I tried to act like a cute little human to try to to whatever, like bluff them, and you know, think, oh mm-hmm. well, you know, huh? And one of the guys, you're talking about how they're kind of pushy. Well, he did something where he went into my brain, my bean, my... Con- See, it was really invasive, or it was like a, a reprimand that I thought. Mm-hmm. But a Native woman told me that her child actually did it to her when she, when the child was a baby, and it was doing uh, an initiation with her. It was unlocking mm-hmm. something within her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just got this information recently. But I always thought as though he had done a really creepy reprimand to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I've never really talked to anybody about who has actually seen a Pleiadian, and I was just mm-hmm. curious as though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, well I know yeah. that. Um, uh, well, Bob, thanks. Up. And my brother Bob Hand um, <laughs> gives, gives <laughs> spiritual advice in Bellingham. Um, well, I, the group that I work with in, in terms of distribution and all that is called Wise Awakening in Bellingham, uh, Washington. So my yeah, brother Bob does this thing. Yeah, you could call up and ask about what to do with your dog or whatever. And I just thought <laughs> it'd be really funny if my brother tried to pull one on me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm in Colorado. <laughs> okay, well, it's good talking to you, Barbara. Thanks for calling. Okay, you okay. Bye. Right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bob. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, are we uh, complete? W- well, um, <laughs> if you want it to be complete, we're complete. Well, we had somebody another caller. Come, we, we had another All right, caller. Let's, come take, in. let's take let's take one more because I got to cook dinner for my husband. <laughs> <laughs> okay, life thank goes you on, for, you know. <laughs> thank you for being gracious. So, um, <laughs> for everyone, this is really going to be the last caller. So you're going to be talking to Lisa in just a second. Hi, Lisa. You are on the air with Barbara. Thank you, Ariel. Hi, Barbara. It's, I'm so Hi, glad Lisa. you took my call. I, oh, I'll make it very fast. Okay. Um, I a few months ago, um, strange, th- strange things happen in my room, in my bedroom. Like I, I feel things and I see things, and I saw this blue, almost transparent person, like from head to toe, they were totally blue. And I was just wondering if that was a Palladian. I thought it was maybe my higher self or something else, and I'm not quite sure. I think most likely it's a Pleiadian. Um, or, or put it this way, it could be your higher self, too, and your higher self might be Pleiadian. But um, usually usually they're transparent, and there's always, there's always a blue quality, and there's always a sense of telepathy and energy flowing in waves, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. It, it was really very, funny because it had, like, this sort of electrical um, system going through his body. Yeah, or her body. Yeah, or... Well, in order for them, just think of what it takes for them. For some reason, this being wanted to appear to you, and think mm-hmm. what it takes them. And in my system, the Pleiadians are in the fifth dimension, and it's terribly difficult to come down um, through the fourth dimension and then into our dimension, which is 3D. It's very difficult. Oh, I, I understand you know. that, but I'm yeah. glad he appeared to me. But nothing was, nothing happened, nothing was said. I was so in awe. Mm-hmm. That uh-huh. I just, you know, I just said, okay. Is there anything you Did want to say? Did it make you happy? Yes, I happy? felt really good. Okay, well, so you got a dose of happiness. 
Oh, okay. Uh, hard, hard thing to get these days. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's really bad right now. It's going to get better, but right now it's really bad. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you for telling me that. I just wasn't sure, like... Oh, I think I, so. Yeah. Well, I wish I you would have so. spoken. Great. Okay. Thank you for taking my call. Okay. Thanks, Lisa. You're quite welcome. Take care. Lisa, thank, thank you. you for calling. Bye, Ariel. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, well, Barbara, thank you so much for being so gracious, and um, well, it's been a pleasure having you on. And I, I know that you could probably come back two or three more times, and we'd still be scratching the surface of everything yeah, that you so um, have to fun. offer. And yeah, so and I do appreciate um, so much the work that you do, and make sure you uh, connect with Lavendar, um, you know, off the air, because oh, I'm going to also check uh, it, out her website. It sounds like she's doing. You guys are doing really cool work. Like that little synopsis of information um, coming from Anastasia in, in over a period of 20 minutes was amazing. Because because well, I, 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 I knew I knew that information, but I know what I had to get, go through to get all that stuff. And she did a beautiful job of just synthesizing and picking out important points. Very good. She does a great job. And yeah, the Starseed News is really really popular. It really and, is, and it just it's stuff that you're just not going to hear about yeah. and it's it yeah. it's relevant to us um yes. maybe not you know corporations don't care but we do <laughs> yeah no so, i think it's very relevant information i think what the three of you are doing the three got the triple goddess over there you know it's great so thank you very well, much for the support you are you are so welcome and do take some time and and look at the website because uh i'm going yeah, to there's a oh, there's yeah. a a lot of stuff that is i mean we're just on the same the same team, and it just hadn't met yet. So <laughs> that's right. Uh, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, All right. Thank, thank you, you so much a, for sharing your time. Have a with nice us. evening. Okay. We Say sure bye. will. Thank you so much, okay. Barbara. Bye. Bye. So um, at this time, we are going to wrap it up and thank you all for listening. And remember that um, our Crystal Quest has only three spots left, so if you're on the fence about going, um, let me know so we can maybe work something out. So with that, thanks so much for listening, and take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 